My name's Chris. As you can see, we have a lot of different props today. So uh, we're going to have fun uh, with all of these props. And uh, you'll find out in just a little bit what's in some of these. But until then, you'll just have to wait and see. So uh, growing up as a kid, one of the first scripture verses I ever memorized was in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And it's a scripture verse in which it is given by a guy by the name of Paul who wrote close to half of the New Testament. And he writes to this small little church uh, called uh, Rome. And this little church in Rome, he writes to them. And what he wants to do more than anything else is for them to understand what God's heart beats for more than anything else. And what God's heart beats for more than anything else uh, is people. And as that is given, he goes ahead and he gives these words in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, everyone on uh, this stream and everyone here in the auditorium, I'd like you to repeat that verse uh, with me. Okay, one, two, three. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, for those of you that are on the stream right now, what I'd like you to do is to think about what you think is the key word. What is the key word in this verse? And everyone here in the auditorium, I'd like you to look to the person beside you and tell them what you think is the key word in this verse. Okay? So go ahead, tell them real quick. Okay. Uh, the key word I'm going to tell you is everyone. That's the word you might want to circle. Everyone. Every Democrat. Well, hold on for a second. Let's not quite go there, right? Serious? Every Democrat? Yeah. Every Democrat who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <sighs> okay. Uh, every Republic. Whoa. Every Republican? Yeah. Every Republican who calls on the name of the... No, every Republican? Like everyone. Yeah. Every Republican who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every person that is poor, every person that is rich, every person that you can't stand, every person that gets under your nerves, every person that you don't want to associate with, every person who you can't deal with, every person who you hate... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this kind of leads us to our big question this morning. This is your first fill-in, whether you're on the stream and you uh, type it in on your phone or you have a program today, is this question that you have to ask yourself, how wide is your everyone? How wide is your everyone. Maybe for some of you, your everyone is everyone who acts like you, who thinks like you, who talks like you, who votes like you. But anybody else, they're not in my everyone. 
Uh, I have a feeling that if Paul were here today, what he would want to try to do for every single one of you is to expand your everyone. In fact, I think if there was another guy who was here who actually went to a cross and died upon it for every single one of your sins, and three days later, he rose from the dead and he came back so that you and I would have the possibility of eternal life. I think if that guy was on this stage, he would want to widen your everyone also. And who is that guy? Jesus, that's right. Like if you're in church and you don't know what to say, just yell out, Jesus! Like you will not get in trouble for that. That's why you're here, to like get to know him more. You see, folks, Jesus was the master of the invitational life, of widening the welcome. That's why he came to planet Earth, to widen the everyone that we would see. In Luke chapter 14, one day, uh, the story is told that Jesus is hanging out with a group of people who are around a table, and they're called Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a group of religious Jewish people who were Bible thumpers. They were bullhorn guys. They were guys that knocked on people's doors, and they had a very narrow view of everyone. They did not have a wide view. They had a very narrow view and people had to do a whole bunch of rituals and kind of religious acrobatics to get into their little group. But it was very, very narrow. And Jesus, one day, as he's around them, he starts telling them about what makes the father's heart beat more than anything else. And in Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 16 Jesus says this, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. He's like, the lamb is ready. The drinks are ready. The band is ready. It's time to pate. Come on, let's go. Let's celebrate. And this is what it says. But they all alike began to make, what's the next word? Excuses, excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now, folks, that's a weak excuse. Five yoke of oxen. That's like saying this. Hey, you know what? I got this new motorcycle and today I can't go to the party because I got to check the spark plugs. What? Then it goes on. Look at this next verse. Still another one said, I just got married and I can't come. He's already blaming his wife. The reason I can't come is because I got this woman, the battle axe. You know, we were married. Not good. The servant came back and reported this to his master. He went out to all of the master's friends and he invited them, but they just won't Come, they have all kinds of excuses. Have you ever experienced this before? Where you invited someone to come and to be with you and to connect in some way, and they said no. And every time that we get rejected when we invite someone, it's difficult for us to invite them 
again. Maybe there's one person or two people or three people that you're kind of like, oh, I'd like to invite them to come and connect. And yet there's a part of you that's just like they just keep telling me no. And they make excuses like, well, I've got to work or my wife and I are doing something or my husband and I are doing something or, or we have this with the kids or, or we have to go take care of the spark plug in our, you know, Harley Davidson. Like, like they just start making excuses left and right. And for many of us, what happens is when we get rejected, we just stop. And we're like, well, this is what I tried to do. And what we do is we retire from the invitational life. Well, I invited this person. I did this thing. I did what you said to do, Chris, and they didn't come. And so I'm giving up. I'm just giving up. And folks, I just want you to know that if you're there, what's happening is you are narrowing your everyone. You're narrowing your everyone when it comes to God's point of view. Now, in this parable, in this story, Jesus wants to teach you that the master's view of humanity is how wide is your everyone? So when the servant comes back and says to his friends, uh, hey, come and do this, and he says, your friends won't come. They actually won't come. Look what the master says. He says, well, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go after them, the master says, so that the servant goes and he invites as many people as he can see And he says to come, but here's the problem. There's still more room in the banquet hall. And what I love about this part of the story is that the master is trying to expand the servant's perspective of who you can invite. And what the master is trying to remind the servant in this story is that just because you went to my friends, that's not enough. There's a whole nother group of people who are unaware of this party, that their eyes are not seeing it, but to whom you can go and you can make an invitation. Why is it that with some people, sometimes we ignore them and we choose not to invite them? When I was in high school, I moved uh, going into my freshman year, so I knew no one in the high school. And uh, a person befriended me in choir class. Some of you didn't know I could sing like an angel, did you? I mean, I got some pipes, people. And I was in this choir class, and then this young guy named Casey befriended me. And we became friends, and he was my my best kind of friend until I started hanging out and started playing football. And then I really was around some more popular people. And so I didn't really want him to have, I really didn't want him to be around me. I didn't want him to be noticed. And then I made the basketball team and then I made the track team and, and I'd be okay with Casey as long as we were in choir. But then once we went in the hallway or we went somewhere else, I would just kind of ignore him altogether because I had to narrow my everyone. I mean, I couldn't just have someone like that around me and I'll tell you, I've regretted it this time. In fact, a few years ago, I reached out in Facebook to try to make some amends with that because what had happened was, folks, I didn't see 
how wide my everyone was. I just made it extremely, extremely narrow. Have you ever been there before? Has there ever been somebody who wasn't as popular or didn't seem like they connected as much or they were needy or they took more of your time or energy and you're just like, you know what, I don't have time for them and you narrow your every one. And so let me ask you again, how wide is your everyone? Or is it very, very narrow? Well, the servant come back, comes back to the master and says, Sir, what you ordered has been done, but there is still more room. Then the master told his servant, Go! In other words, you have been sent out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come into my house so that it will be, what's the last word? Full! I love this. The master says, well, now go to the off-roads. Go as far out as you can because there is still room in the banquet. I want you to go to every alleyway. I want you to go to the people who are standing alone. I want you to go to the people who feel like they're losers. I want you to go to the outsider. I want you to go to every single person who feels unseen and feels like they're simply invisible. You go to them. If they feel by themselves, you go to them. And I want you to invite them to come and be a part of this pate of this story. I mean, the food's there. The dancing's there. It's going to be a party of parties. You go and compel them to come. Now, what's that word compel mean? This is what it means. A force that is greater than yourself to bring about something. Because you believe in this thing so deeply that you've just got to bring them back. It it changed your life. So you want to be able to deeply compel them to come. And the master is trying his best to say, expand, expand, expand your message of everyone. Expand your everyone. So, again, I need to ask you, how wide is your everyone? Or... Is it actually very, very narrow? You know, throughout Scripture, the one thing, the one thing that irritated Jesus more than anything else, the thing that ticked him off, the thing that got him really upset, were people who had a very narrow view of everyone. When that happened, Jesus just lost it. He couldn't believe that people would not have as wide a view of everyone as the Father does. And because of this, he's like, I just don't get it. Why can't everyone see that it's so wide? The kingdom of God belongs to anyone who, and, and everyone who would receive the invitation. In fact, in the book of Revelation, which is often sometimes a scary book for people, it's not scary at all. It's really just a book about how to worship and how When we get into heaven, what will it look like? And the scripture actually says this, that every tribe, every tribe, every tongue, every nation is going to be there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be there. How wide is your everyone? Now, Jesus doesn't just stop with this idea of how wide is your everyone with this story or this parable, the parable of the great banquet, but he goes on to tell a story 
about a farmer and some soil and some seed. In this story, we won't have time to go through every verse, but in this story, the farmer represents you. The farmer represents me. The soil represents different listeners, and the seed is the good news of what Christ has done for you and myself. So here's this story of this farmer that gives some seed. He plants some seed. He sows it. And it falls on different soil, four different types of listeners. And there's this kind of soil where someone is ready to receive it. And then there's a kind of soil where someone's not ready. But this is what you need to understand. You're not responsible for how people respond. You're simply responsible for sowing seed. Everyone on the stream, your responsibility is to sow seed. Everyone in the auditorium is to scatter some seed. The whole story in Luke chapter 8 is a story that you can read this week. And all of it is about the parable of the sower, of sowing, of planting seeds. And you know what? That's what farmers do. Farmers plant seeds. They love to plant seeds. Their whole life is about planting some seeds and they hope that they'll plant some seeds and there'll be some life and there'll be some growth and there'll be some openness to the things of God. They just keep planting and planting more and more seeds. Now the problem is, is that As farmers plant seeds, uh, they realize that something will grow eventually. But you and I, who many of us are not farmers, the problem is, is that we think there is a limit to the seeds. And so we think to ourselves, well, I better not be very generous with some of these seeds because if I am, what will happen is I'll run out of seeds. And so, you know, I don't have enough seeds for the lady at Walmart or I don't have enough seeds for the person at school or the person that's at my work or the person that's at the speedway. I I don't have enough seed for that, so I'll keep it to myself. And what we do is we get one little tiny seed and we're like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to plant this seed and I'm going to take care of it and then that's it. That's all that I have room and time Four, and then we stop planting. Folks, this is what you need to know. You will never, ever run out of seed. And that's why the father says, keep planting it, because you never know what will grow. Just keep planting more and more seed wherever you go. Seeds of grace, seeds of love, seeds of kindness, of goodness. Plant those seeds seeds. Now the truth is some of you are just freaking out right now and what you're wondering is, do I have to clean up the stage? Now I want that to get out of your head because you don't have to, okay? You don't have to do that. But some of you might be saying, well, how do you do this? How do you actually scatter seed and live out the invitational life? Well, let me kind of give you a phrase that we're going to build on that deals with this process. And the first part of the phrase is this, this is your next fill-in, is to look for the good. You look for the good. You might say, well, what does that mean? 
That means in every situation you're in, in every single place you go, you look for good in other people. You look for the good, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter who they are. I'm just looking for the good. For the first half of my life, I was so Christianized that the problem with me was I became so judgmental of anyone who wasn't a Christian or who was outside of the church. And it was really, really hard for me to look at good. Instead, what I saw was sin and other people that were not as good as me. And to be honest, I would look for the bad, for the brokenness, for those who were more messed up, those who didn't have it all together. But the truth is, is that in any situation that we walk into, you and I have the ability to have incredible impact if we will simply look for the good and plant some seeds when we see the good that is around us. We have to first of all look for the good. Early on in the life of the jar, uh, we really struggled with having any kind of musicians whatsoever. And in that process, uh, one day my wife said, hey, I've got a friend of mine whose husband plays drums. And uh, I don't know, maybe this would be someone you could actually look for some good in, Chris, and you could plant some seeds. So I met this guy, and let me tell you, this guy was weird. Like on a scale of 1 to 10, he was beyond 10 on the weirdness scale. He was very eccentric. He was just out of it most of the time. He was very socially awkward. It was difficult for me to see anything good about this guy. And yet, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to live the invitational life, what i got to do is I've got to see the good and plant some seed. And so the thing that I realized is, is that he played in a jazz and blues band that played at all kinds of bars. And so my wife and I would start just going to wherever he planted and we would see the good and we'd go up and go, man, that was so awesome. That was so great. And as we continued to go ahead and plant seed after seed after seed, we built a relationship. We went out to eat. We became friends. And eventually we said, well, why don't you come check out the jar one time? And he did. And then he actually became a part of our band. And it all happened because I didn't look at the weird, although the weird was there, believe me. But what I did was I just planted some seeds and he came and he started playing in the band. You see, folks, early on in the life of the jar, this is what I realized. It ain't that hard. That's right. I just said ain't. It ain't that hard to live out the invitational life. All you've got to do is to see the good and then to sow some seeds. All you got to do is see the good and sow some seeds. Can you imagine if every time that you went to Walmart, you saw good? Every time you went to Speedway, you saw some good. Every time you went to the restaurant, you saw some good. Every single time you went out to eat, you saw some good. When you walk into your boss's office, you act... Okay, well, maybe we didn't see good at the boss's office, right? No, no, even in the boss's office, you see the good and you plant some seed. You've got to look for the good. But if you're like me, what happens is once I get rejected, sometimes I'm not so 
you know, risky to plant some more seed. In fact, I'm so fear, fearful of being rejected that I actually start saying no for other people. I start thinking, oh, well, they couldn't come because the reality is uh, they have kids or, or they're married or, you know, they've got to work. Or I just start making their nose for them before I ever plant seeds. But that's not the invitational life. The invitational life is to be generous with what you have. So first of all, we look for the good. And then secondly, we have to look for the need. We look for the good. We look for the need. We look for the good. We look for the need. There's a woman in our church who has a business. And over the years, there was some people who had a, another office right beside her or another business. And over time, she started looking for the good. And she would see them and she would kind of reach out to them and just plant some seeds. And then all of a sudden she saw not just the good, but she saw the need. The need was is that the husband was dealing with some addiction and he was struggling within his marriage of this other place. And they knew about a small group of people in our church who were working with overcoming addictions. And all of a sudden she saw the good, she saw the need and she started planting some seeds and she met the need and she invited them and they came and they became a part of our church family. They, they found freedom through their addiction and life changed simply because they were able to see the need. So you look for the good, you look for the need. And then the third thing is you invite someone, you invite someone. Several years ago, uh, my wife Jennifer and I decided when our kids were real little, we wanted them to learn how to swim. And so we got them involved in the Cardinal Swim Club. Now, Jennifer and I are not swimmers whatsoever, but we wanted our kids not to drown. That was the number one goal. Not necessarily to become good swimmers, just not to drown. And so we got them involved in this. And when we went there, I didn't know a single person. I knew nothing about swimming whatsoever. But I thought to myself, what I can start to do is I can actually start to see the good in some people. And so that's what our family did. I saw some good and I planted some seeds. Jennifer saw some good, she planted some seeds. Our girls saw some good and they planted some seeds. And then they became real close friends with two other little girls. And in the midst of that whole process of them becoming buddies, we became very close to their parents and we would... Uh, go out to eat together and sometimes we would uh, have the girls have play dates and we would just plant seeds plant seeds plant seeds and they became close friends then as God would have it what we found out was that the mom of this family was actually going to be the swim coach of the middle school where our girls would be attending and so what we did was we just continued to try to scatter seeds scatter seeds scatter seeds and I started actually timing. I'd never timed at a swim meet ever in my life. I didn't know they even did that. I started timing at these meets and I met the dad, Andrew, and he and I became buddies. And Jennifer became really good friends with his wife, Allison. And the girls then, my two girls, started scattering some seed and they invited these girls to youth group. And so they came to youth and they started connecting. And then one Sunday, the whole family was sitting right there 
in the front row. And it shocked me. I was like, holy cow. And as I talked to Andrew, what I found out was that he had been raised around some people in his family that were Bible beaters and he got burnt on religion big time and he decided, well, I'm not good enough. God will never want anything to do with me. And so he just never went to church. He never opened himself up to the things of God. And so what we did was we just continued to say, well, what we're going to do is we're just going to keep on scattering some seed. And we did this again and again and again. And they started growing more in their faith. And we just scattered some seed. And then we met some needs. We did some carpooling with them. They needed some help with carpooling. And Jennifer and I decided we'd do that with their kids. And they helped us as well. And we just started doing this. And we met the needs. And we invited them. And we invited them. And finally, their youngest daughter, Olivia, a year ago, got baptized. And when she got baptized, Andrew's life changed. And he said, I want some of this God in my life. And so they started reading the Bible and praying and growing together as a family more and more and more. But the problem was is that Andrew kept struggling with the soundtracks in his head that he was not enough. He was not good enough compared to these other religious people in his life. And so we just would talk about it and then I would scatter some seed. And then finally he learned what I learned, that Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship with the one who knows you best and who loves you most. And all of a sudden, Andrew believed, well, actually, God could receive me and that I could be welcomed and that God's welcome was very wide. It wasn't narrow like his family had said. And in the midst of that, all of a sudden, he and his wife and Jordan's friend Annie, just a few weeks ago, they all got baptized together. Okay, if you want to clap for something, that's the time you do it, okay? And God worked in their life in such an amazing way. And the Jackson family will tell you it's because of this place called the jar that they were welcome to invite to a party that they were able to come and to understand God's love and his grace and their life was changed. Again, folks, it's not hard. This is all we did. We signed our kids up for some swim lessons and swimming, and we planted some seeds. And over time, as we saw the need and we invited, they actually came and committed their lives to Christ. You know, at the end of the Romans passage that we were looking at earlier, uh, Paul says this. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, most of the time, when people think about feet, they do not think about beauty. Feet are like stinky, sweaty, smelly. In the ancient Near East, it was even worse because people were barefoot or they just walked in sandals and their feet would be caked with all kinds of nasty stuff all the time. They were stinky and dirty. They were disgusting. And yet, what Paul says is that whenever your feet are used to walk across rooms or across your school floor or across, uh, you know, your workplace to reach out to someone else, those feet get transformed from being dirty and smelly into something beautiful. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said this. He said that there's someone whose hill 
will crush the head of evil. And in Romans 16, 20, Paul says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And folks, every time that you're sent, every time that you see good and you scatter some seed and you meet a need and you invite someone in the midst of all of that, what happens is your feet are transformed as you share the good news. Your feet are beautiful. You get a pedicure for free. And people see your feet and they're like, oh man, because you're proclaiming, you're crushing evil and you're proclaiming good And you're in the invitational lifestyle. So I've got to ask you, what would it look like if every single place you ever came into, you just decided that, you know what I'm going to do? In each place I come, I'm going to see the good. I'm going to look for a need. I'm going to invite. And the last thing that we're going to do is to come and see. That's the fourth part of this process, that we will invite people to come and see. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, that's what he was constantly doing. Come and see, come and see, come and see. And that is the language that I've used over and over again. Why don't you come and check out the jar? Just come one time. If you don't like it after that, that's fine. But just come and see. Come and be a guest. For some of you, you'd say, come, I'll meet you in the parking lot so you don't uh, sit by yourself and I'll walk in with you and we'll sit together and we'll get coffee or water and we'll hang out. Just come and see. Come and see. Folks, here's the deal. You might get rejected. You might have someone who makes an excuse and says, hey, you know what? I got five yoke of oxen, so I'm not sure I can come. But this is what you need to understand. It's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility for their response. It's your response to simply say, I'm going to scatter some seed. I'm going to look for the good. I'm going to look for the need. I'm going to invite someone to come and see. And as you do that, God then moves And the response is up to them. I mean, just think about every single place that you go, you just scatter seed. When I go to work, when I go to Walmart, when I go wherever. And when someone says, no, 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 I don't, I don't want that. You don't go, no, let me force it into your mouth. No, no, no. You just find somebody else and you say, hey, Speedway guy, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you to let you know you're good, man. And is there a need that I can meet? And I'm going to invite you to come and see. Folks, the invitational life all comes down to one question. And it's the question you have to answer. And this is the question. How wide is your everyone? How wide is your everyone? Because you ain't going to run out of seeds, folks. You're never going to run out of seeds. And the key to scattering seed is to simply have Jesus at the center of your world. And when he's at the center, your everyone becomes wider. And you're able to see the good. You look for the need. You invite someone to actually come and see. 
And what happens is you become generous with what God has given to you. And today, God is challenging you where you're sitting right now to actually have an everyone that is wide enough to include them as the Father includes everyone. That's all you got to do. And it's my prayer that every single person in this place, our view of everyone would become as wide as our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for choosing to have a relationship with us. And thank you for reminding us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And so help us to be people who are passionate about your love. Help us this week to invite someone to come and to see, to scatter some seed, to help us to widen the welcome, to to meet the needs of the people that are around us. As you keep on praying, maybe there are some of you here today and the reality is you're like, wow, I never realized how wide God's welcome was, that I'm a part of the everyone. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he died so that all of your sins would be placed upon him so you wouldn't have to carry anything anymore. And you were set free so that three days later he rose from the dead so that you would have life forever. That when this life is over, you can have abundant life now with him, but one day you'll be in heaven with him. And if today is your day where you're like, I want to be a part of that everyone, I want to be welcomed by the Father, then I'm going to invite you in a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you say by yourself, but it's a prayer that we pray together. And if you feel comfortable, if you would please just repeat this prayer after me. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.